Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey to product mastery. This is the journey we're all on, trying to do a better job creating products that our customers love. And this episode, as others has been too, is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. That's the RPM experience. This is really the fastest way for product teams to all get on the same page, working together, accelerating their speed together. It's a great way for product VPs to kind of mentor their teams and get everyone together working better as well. If you want to find out more about the Rapid Product Master Experience, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM. You can see how it can help you as well. I'm dealing with a little allergy problem, which you might hear in the voice as well too. And if you have heard that before, that means you've listened to me. And there's a good chance you've heard me somewhere along the way say something like, we need to fall in love with the customer's problem, not our solution, right? When we get enamored with the solution, then we kind of get distracted from some other things that become important, like the customer experience. And instead, that customer experience is really an aspect that creates value for the customer. For example, let's pick a simple one. Have you ever gone to some onboarding you know, software system, something online, and it's asked you more than once for your address? Or maybe at your doctor's office, same thing, or your dentist's office. All three are true for me, right? That just adds friction to the customer experience. There's lots of little things like that can get in the way of, frankly, adding more value to the customer. And to help us explore this topic of customer experience, we have Natasha Norkowitz with us. She's the Senior Director of Product Management for Newfold Digital. This is the company that you have certainly aware of. They're behind several popular web hosting brands, such as Bluehost, Network Solutions, HostGator, and SiteBuilder. She's held product roles for nearly a decade now, and she enjoys building products that have a clean customer experience. She's also a mentor in business college programs at the University of North Florida, where she shares her knowledge with senior each year, as well as mentoring in the Female Entrepreneurs Program, which is a 12-week program in Jacksonville, Florida, at the Women's Business Center. Love that she has been giving back uh, as she has time in her life as well. As a reminder for listeners, if you want to get that detailed notes that we take of everything we talk about, including that one-page action guide we put together for you to put into action key insights the way that we can, you can take away from this discussion, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 398. Natasha, thanks for joining us. And I'm not sure if I actually did justice to the name, so tell us your whole name, please. You did. You said it brilliantly. It's Natasha Narkowitz. Okay. Lovely. Thank you. And I really appreciate the experience you have and this desire, you know, to, to have a good customer experience in our products. But I want to back up to something that I saw earlier in your background. And a lot of times product managers, we do work in an industry, we kind of become, the, you know, known in that domain, have knowledge in that. And we get a little bit fearful about changing domains or industries at times. And I saw in your background, you used to be with a medical, in the medical industry, I think it was a company creating some kind of surgical implants, there as the senior director of product management. And now for the last decade, you've been at an IT services company you know, that specializes in web hosting. Can you just tell us what that was like making that move across industries? Yeah, sure. It was a big move. And I know that is not common for people in their career to jump industries like this. I think first it might be worthwhile just explaining a little bit about why I was making the jump of the industry. So I was in the medical device space and my products were surgical implants. Specifically, it was focused on orthopedic and spine. And I worked for a biologics company where we used biologics to heal the bone. We actually used cadaveric tissue. So we used the body to heal the body which is a really exciting space and certainly was when I first joined. But then the FDA really came in and started to 
increase regulations on how new products came to market, which makes sense because these are our products or implants that are going in somebody's body. They need to be safe. And so they were increasing the safety regulations. But from a company perspective, that really hindered innovation because it required companies to do clinical trials, which was a multi-year process, oftentimes millions of dollars in order to recruit the people, follow them through the entire process to get something new to market. So I really saw the writing on the wall that it was going to stifle my creativity and my ability to contribute to innovation. And that was my cue of this might not be the industry for me. So I started looking at if I were going to switch to industries, what would I want? Where would I want to go? And I think, you know, it was partly the age old saying of it's who, you know, and partly strategic planning on my part that assisted in me being able to switch industries. So who I knew is what got me the interview and what I knew is what got me the job. So I knew the onus was going to be on me with this upcoming company to show that product management was a transferable skill. Product management is all about knowing who are your users, what are their goals, what are their pain points, and how could you effectively solve those pain points. And you couple that with the business acumen of knowing your sales, your cost, your margins, and you can do product management for any industry. And I knew that I had to be able to bridge the gap with this new company that I could take that framework that I used in understanding my previous users who happened to be surgeons and their needs of how they were healing their patients. I could use the framework of how I went through their problems and apply that to the users in this new industry. And I came coupled with lots of examples of how I could use that framework for scenarios that would apply to this company. And that's what ultimately landed the job. And I think that having a solid understanding of that framework is so important. I mean, that's why you see tech companies today like Facebook and Google. They're not doing traditional interviews. They're interviewing you with case studies where they're really testing what is your framework? How do you think through problems and solve problems? And that is a transferable skill that you can take to any industry. And as long as you can prove that, then you're going to be able to make the switch. Excellent. Shared as a mentor might share, right? Clearly, you have experience talking about, about this with others, too, and encouraging those that you have mentored. I love that you shared in, in that, you know, that this works across any industry, right? What we do as product people, it's a process. We have frameworks, we have tools that we, and you recognize that you would have to make this clear to, you know, the hiring people at the new organization, why your background, why your experience in the other domain was actually applicable. And I've had this conversation with many product managers before who are looking to maybe change domains, right? They're tired of what they're doing now. They're looking for a new opportunity. Like, well, how do I package that in a way that makes sense to people? And I love what you shared and how that worked out for you. That was all spot on from how I think about it too, right? This is a process and framework and we can apply it to other areas. Right. I'm a big fan of having frameworks in all areas of life. I mean, if you think about it, we are humans are inherently lazy. We don't want to have to think. And so if you have this mental checklist of these are the steps I need to go through, it's going to make your job more efficient. And so that's where having these frameworks and really the, the concept of a framework can apply to multiple areas of your life. But if you have a framework and you feel confident in it, it's going to help you make decisions faster. It's going to help you make decisions in multiple different contexts it just really helps simplifies the way that you're able to move through what would otherwise be a confusing and complex situation. It allows you to know what to focus on at the right time right. and not get caught up on all the things that you might be thinking about and 
it simplifies what we need to do. So thank you very much. A lot of people wonder about how, well, can I ever make a shift to another industry? And appreciate you sharing your experience with us on that. When we first started talking, it became clear that the customer experience was you know, you know, part of what is in your makeup as a product manager and something that you really think about. And I'm curious you know, kind of where that first came from. What was your experience that put this on your radar as something important to you? Well, I'm a firm believer that if you don't know your customer, you don't know what you're solving for. You're just guessing. And I am a naturally curious person. I mean, you, you'll probably see that in my in my LinkedIn profile. You'll see that in the way that I handle situations. Certainly the people that I work with would be able to contest to that. Joke that as a kid, my, my favorite question, according to my family, was why? I always wanted to know, why do people do things this way? Why do things happen in this way? And as a product manager, you have to be naturally curious. You have to constantly be asking that question of why. You have to really know your customer. It's the responsibility of a product manager to know your customer better than anyone else. You need to get in their shoes and sometimes quite literally. In fact, in my, the job that I'm with now at Newful Digital, I've been working there for a decade at this point. Our target user is a small business owner. And when I first joined the company, I wasn't familiar with small business owners. I mean, I had family who had their own business, but that was the only reference that I had to what were their needs. And I needed to figure out how do they think? What's important to them? What do they care about? And so I started my own little side gig with the pure intention of, I need to figure out what is it like to be a small business owner? And so I did a little thing on the side. It wasn't something that I knew I was going to make a lot of money on, but it was a little fun as a little side project. And it really got me thinking about how does this user operate? What's important to them and what challenges do they face and what is it that they're trying to accomplish? And it's to, to help you do that. There is a, there's a framework that I'm sure most of your users are probably familiar with called the jobs to be done framework. In fact, there's a whole, there's several books on it. You know, I think the book by Anthony Olwick is the one that I've used. That's a great way to really think about your users and what are their jobs that they're trying to get done. And it helps you really put yourself in their shoes. But that is so important for a product manager because you need to know what's important to your users. Otherwise, you run the risk of building something that never gets used. It's something that might be important and exciting to you and your engineering team and even to your company. And then you end up not making any money off of it because it's not important to your customers. And so it really starts there understanding the why behind everything you do and what your users care about. Absolutely. If we don't know who our customer clearly is, the problems that they're having, the objectives that they're trying to meet, you know, the tasks they're trying to accomplish, what they're working to, that job to be done, as you shared, then we have a really hard time making any kind of decisions about, well, are we going to pick this feature over that feature to implement next? How can we add more value to what they're doing? It really complicates our life if we don't have a clear understanding of that. One of my hats is university professor, and we often have these team projects where graduate students are creating some kind of new venture to, together during the course and moving that forward. More times than not, I find in that setting, as well as organizational settings, people are quick to move off the customer and the problem and onto the solution. That saying I said in the intro, right, about we need to fall in love with the customer's problem and not the solution. Part of that is because it's easy to move off of the problem because we get into the solution and we want to think more about that, right? Yeah, we get excited. Yeah, we get excited. But how do you, as a senior product director and with the people that you manage, keep that in front of everyone? How do you bring them back to the customer's problem and make that forefront? 
you have to humanize the customer because it's too easy to use the term customer in the abstract and, you know, oh, we're doing this for the customer and you can lose sight of who actually is your customer. And sometimes you have different customers. A customer is not a one size fits all. Oftentimes you have variants of a customer who might have slightly different needs than another customer who, you know, we'll go back to Newfold Digital. Our target user is a small business owner. But do we have one customer? No, we have several variants of that small business owner, each with their own needs and their own objectives and their own pain points. And it is so important to know who they are and to humanize them. So we actually go through a process where we have developed what we refer to as personas, which I'm sure most of your audience is familiar with that. And we will give them actual names. So we, you know, you can pick any name you want to help humanize your persona. And we even go as far as to give them, we get a picture of who this is so that when you are talking through solutions, you are stopping to say, Hey, how does this apply to Charlie? And in your head, you can actually see this person, you know how they think, you know what's important to them and what they're going to care about. And then you can turn around and say, well, how does this feature, how would it impact Olivia? And now in my head, I know exactly who I'm talking about and what her needs are and what she cares about. And you really have to get everyone thinking about your customers in those ways and really try to humanize them. Again, going back to this, you need to put yourselves in their shoes so that you can think like them. That is how you're going to be able to best meet their needs. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting when I have done the rapid product master experience for organizations, we do this virtually. It takes place over nine weeks. And afterwards, I have a discussion with you know the, the team entire, in the entirety or just the person brought me in. You know, what has really changed as part of this? And one of the common things that comes up is, you know, we talk about the customer a lot more than we used to. We changed our focus. Instead of thinking in engineering specs, we now think about what the customer's problem is. And we need that anchor to come back to, right? It's the North Star that says, why are we building this product in the first place? We're making this product better because we're trying to serve the customer. Absolutely. And it provides great checks and balances because you, you know, like you said, you can fall in love with the solution. You may get excited about the solution and this is going to do this and how cool is this going to be? And then if you stop and you say, is this something that Charlie would actually use? And you mm -hmm. think about it, and you're like, actually, no, I don't think that he would even care about this. So yeah, it does all these cool things, but that doesn't matter to him. And so, okay, right. maybe we shouldn't be building this feature then. Or maybe we should be making adjustments right. so that he would care about it. And it really helps provide those checks and balances to stop back and, and, and think, is this something that this customer and this variant of my customer actually cares about? Okay. So this sounds like a key step in, in kind of the beginning of your process. And we could dive in how you build personas. I'm also kind of just curious because you emphasize, you know, frameworks in the beginning. That's what helped you change industries. So the framework for you know, really putting customer experience into action, so to speak. I don't know if you have a project you could take us through as an example of, you know, what that original problem was, the personas you created, what you did next. Sure. Yeah, I can think of a big project that we are still underway with, and it's a multi-year project. At Newfold Digital, we are a company that has grown through acquisition. We've acquired a lot of other companies who have specialized in a particular product or service, and we've brought them on board. And each of these companies comes with their own platforms. 
And we, of course, want to be able to offer their service to our customer base. That's the whole reason why we wanted to bring them into, you know, under the umbrella was that they had something that we didn't have that we knew our customers would want, which sounds great in theory. But then when you get down to the actual you know, tactical experience that our users go through, if I'm moving from one platform to another platform, that's a jarring experience. It feels different. It looks different. And then you talk about some of the complexities you talked about at the beginning of the call, these friction points of, hey, when I go to the doctor's office, you ask me for my address, and then you ask me for it again three more times on three different forms. That causes uh, friction to the user because it's annoying that you have to do that. And it's a simple question of why. I gave it to you once. Couldn't you just reuse it? Well, this presented an opportunity for us that we needed to unify all of these platforms so that we could provide a single customer experience that we could make the user feel as if it was a single interface. And so with that, we set out on a project to to unify all of these platforms, consolidate where we can and to redesign the experience, even if it is across multiple different platforms to give the illusion of a single interface and provide the best customer experience. So before we ever started down the path of, okay, how would we do this? What would this look like? What changes do we need to make? The first thing that we needed to do was understand who are the users of these platforms. And so we really dug in first and we did this in a couple of different ways. We have analytics tools that are embedded into these platforms. And so we would look at behavioral data with the analytics to see, well, what areas of the platform are users going to? What are they clicking on in these areas? This would help us to kind of understand the usage within the platform, which would give us a little clue into what the users cared about. Then we went and talked to our first line of defense, which would be our customer support and our sales teams. These are the people within our organization who are our frontline workers. They're the ones that are actually talking to our customers. So we would talk to them. Hey, what are the, what are, why are the customers calling in? What are they asking about? What are they stumbling over? What are they trying to accomplish? And so we used that information and it's subjective because, you know, you're hearing this, um, through, you know, it's secondhand information. And you, we also know that typically if somebody's calling into customer support, they're usually pretty upset about something. So you might be only getting information through one set of lens and it's not the full story. And so we knew that we needed to get more information. So we then talked to our actual customers. So we went and we talked to, uh, we just started slowly chipping away at building a little bit of a customer community that we could talk to understand what is it that you're trying to do? What are your goals? And really, again, trying to humanize them. You're a small business owner. Why did you go into business? What are you trying to accomplish? How do you want to grow? What challenges do you have? What opportunities do you have? What objectives are you trying to achieve on a day-to-day basis? What objectives are you trying to achieve over a yearly basis? really to try to understand who they were and what they cared about. What were their objectives, goals, desires? Use the word of your choice, the job that they were trying to get done. And then what were the pain points that they had to try to get that job done? And the that's where we went next was, you know, after we understood a little bit about more about who our users were and our users, like I said, they were different. And sometimes you would see on certain platforms, you would see a higher prevalence of a particular user, whereas on another platform, you saw a a different user appear. And so being able to go through that analysis really helped us to get a better sense of who was using our products. 
and talking with our first line of defense as well as directly with customers, we were able to learn about why they were trying to get things done. Then we turned our attention to the pain points. What is preventing our user from being able to get their job done? And we really broke that down into three different buckets. There are the problems that they face in using our platforms. So these are internal problems. You know, they're trying to give us their address and we ask for it three separate times. That's an internal problem. That's something that we can solve. The second bucket was what are some of the pain points that they may have that are not with using our platform. They're just pain points to the job that they're trying to get done that are being met really well by someone else. And that's going to be an external threat. So our users have this job that they're trying to get done and it the, a pain point that they may have. I'm trying to give an example here. So I, I can share one that might fit and you tell me if this fits your business or not, right? So okay. as a small business owner, having had a hosting company you know, host websites for me for a few decades now, this sounds very familiar to me, right? So I'm used to going into, you know, control panel, cPanel for, which has a very unique experience, which is kind of clumsy to figure your way through. Another place for domains to do domain name management, another place to do store, you know, different places, right? Some of these just I tend to not like over time. And so today I go to Google domains because I like that experience. That's an external company for my host. They're doing a better job meeting my needs to quickly and easily set up a domain in a secure, trusted way that's at a great price point, right? So I chose them and took that business away from my hosting company. Exactly. That, that, that is an external threat because they had a problem that they were, you had a problem, you needed to get a domain name and the provider that you were working with. And that's a problem that you're going to have regardless of what provider that you have. Well, there happens to be a provider out there that makes it easy for you to not only get the domain name, but to be able to use it. How do you connect it to something? Well, that's a difficult task to do. That's a pain point that this user would have. And Google may have solved it easily for you. I think Newful Digital also can help solve it for you. But <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> the, and, and just is, to be is, clear, you're, you, you guys are not my host right now. So that just to be clear. Okay. Yes. Good, good. Good to put that out there. Um, but yes, there are going to be external threats to your company. There's going to be people who do, who solve the job better. And so you need to be aware of that because that's going to be important for you because it could be a reason why somebody may choose someone else over you. And so having that information will certainly help you decide, well, if somebody else is doing it better, should we try to do it better than them? Or should we acknowledge that maybe that's not the pain point that we want to go solve? Maybe we acknowledge that, hey, that job is being met satisfactorily somewhere else. So we're going to acknowledge that and we're going to work with that. And it, you can't make that decision unless you are aware of the situation. And then the third bucket of pain points is you would then go to is the, you look at, again, the job that the user is being done and is it not being solved well by anyone else? And now this highlights a real opportunity for you. And so we really looked at these pain points, three lights. It was that here's the job that the user is trying to get done. What internal problems do we have that are prohibiting the user from being able to complete that job with us? That's one. Two, are there companies out there that meet that job better? And should we try to really compete with that or should we accept it and work with it? That's your external threats. And then three is really looking at your opportunity. Is nobody else meeting this job well and that we could 
that's an opportunity for us and could really set us apart, give us that competitive differentiation. So we went down that path, really understood those pain points, and that really helped us to start to build out a list of these are the things that we want to go solve for. Help us just add some detail to that for us that now that you have these insights, you, you did the analysis, we have internal things that we can work on. There's always more of those than we have resources for. We have external opportunities that others are doing a better job and maybe they belong part of our core business and maybe they don't and we have to figure that out. And then there's that you know green area, the blue space where we can play and that no one else is playing in yet. It's something the customer wants to achieve and they're not finding a good solution and it fits into our wheelhouse. So all those sound like potential opportunities. And once again, we're back to limited resources. What do you do next to start taking action? Well, it depends on whether you own your roadmap and can make those decisions yourself or whether you are part of a collective team where you have to, um, you're going to have to do some selling as to why you should be working on these things. Either way, you're going to have to first prioritize your list, which, which is the next step where we landed. We had this list of here are all the things that we could potentially do. But to your point, you never have enough resources, time or people to do all of them. And even if you did, you couldn't do them all at the same time. So you still have to prioritize which ones are we going to work on first. And there are lots of different prioritization frameworks out there, but it, what it really comes down to is what is the highest impact and the lowest risk is ultimately what it comes down to. And you, there's lots of frameworks out there, how you can define highest impact, how you can define risk from the rice model to looking at highest opportunity or high, highest importance, lowest satisfaction. And there's lots of different prioritization frameworks that you can get out there to try to figure out how would you prioritize them. Once you have a prioritized list, then it comes down to executing on it. And again, it goes back to the, do you own the team that can actually execute against this? Or do you have to do some selling? Right. And in my case, with the example I came in, there was some selling I had to do. Okay, so let's talk about that some. And I think that's very common. I think it's very rare for product managers to actually have that level of authority that they own the resources to start moving without getting others on board. And this is common to us. We have to use our influence to, to share what we believe is important, provide the support for that, get others to also kind of share in that story and, and come along with us and provide resources that they have control over. How do you do that, right? I, I don't know how you've navigated that there, other places, but whatever you can share with us to kind of say, well, how do you move forward to get people on the same page? Yeah, it's not an easy task and it requires a lot of salesmanship. I can share my experience with what I've done. I think first it, it helps to tell a story. And in fact, I think one of your guests talked about the storytelling method. I actually have used that and it has worked to my advantage. So I would encourage your listeners to go back and listen to that episode because it, it is really helpful. But being able to tell a story is going to help get your message across to the user in a way that they can understand. And if you can throw in visuals, even better. And so this is what I did in my case was I essentially told a story of how we could have a unified experience for that included a various number of different platforms, but to our user felt like a single experience. And so I had to be able to show what that looked like. And so I worked with a UX designer who created some mock-ups. I gave her the scenario and I said, look, I want to tell the story of a day and the life of Olivia. I chose one of our personas 
And I literally went through the, her day and how she would use this reimagined solution of this single platform, or at least the illusion of the single platform and how she started her day, how she interacted with us, how she went away for the day, then came back later that evening. I told a story of how she was using our solution. I created a PowerPoint that included all of the mock-ups, the screenshots that our UX designer had created together. And so that the people seeing this could actually visualize it because we're naturally, most of us are visual learners. So we have to see it to believe it. And so being able to see how this idea could actually look and come to life really helped people start to grasp the idea. And then, you know, it's great to have an idea, but no one really wants to listen to just opinions. And so you really also try, need to provide as much data as you can into your story. And this doesn't have to be a timely exercise or an expensive exercise. The way that we did it was we knew that there were some risky assumptions that we were putting into our story. We were making a jump that, hey, by changing this layout, reorganizing it in this manner across all of these different platforms would actually improve the time that a user could get to a tool. It would increase the likelihood that they would actually be able to complete a step and it would improve the likelihood that they would actually take a purchasing action. Those were some pretty risky assumptions. And we knew that we weren't going to get the buy-in unless we could get some proof that, hey, we could actually improve these numbers. So what we did was we essentially created two low fidelity mock-ups. Again, I worked with a UX designer to do this. One prototype was of our existing experience. Another prototype was of the reimagined vision experience. And we came up with five different tasks that a user would need to do in the, in this environment, in this platform. We went to an external market testing site. There's many of them out there. I know one of your guests previously was at Validately, or no, sorry, user testing. Validately is another example of that. But there are companies out there that can help facilitate this where we said, we want users to test these two platforms, our control group, our challenger group. We want them to complete these five tasks. And here's the type of user that we want to use. And they were able to facilitate it. We got results back within a day of us launching the test. And it wasn't, we didn't do a huge number. We did five people on the challenger group and five people on the control group. So it wasn't this super elaborate test. We were able to stand this up within 24 hours, get the results back within another 24 hours and look to see, did we show improvement in these three areas? And we looked at the time to get to an action the time to complete an action, and then the likelihood that they would actually do a purchasing environment. And we saw that our challenger showed a lift in all three areas. And so I was able to take that data, weave it into my story and say, look, we've tested this. We validated a risky assumption that with this new experience, we actually could improve in these areas. And that was enough to get people at least interested. The story I told was enough to capture their attention they could internalize it because I used one of our personas and, under, and walked them through how this persona would use this particular solution. And then I backed it up with some quick data to show, look, this actually has some legitimate metrics to back this up that shows that we could do this and that this could actually help us. That was enough to at least get start to get some traction. And then you basically... What I did was one, I tried to find an executive sponsor, somebody who believed in this idea alongside me who could champion it. And then I went on a little bit of a roadshow 
where I started sharing this with anyone and everyone. I found opportunities to, to meet with lots of people. And I'm not saying just executives. Sometimes the best movements are grassroots movements. And so you go to your peers, the people that are on the same level as you. You go to the people who have to interact with customers and you share it with them. Get them excited about it. What you want to do is to create a team of missionaries who are speaking the same thing that you're speaking and to to their parts of the organization. And then you really start to get some movement and some traction. And if you can couple that with an executive sponsor who also is championing the idea and is having those same conversations at a higher level, well, now you have a chance of really being able to make some movement and get your idea some legs. That's the experience that I went through. It worked well for me to be able to get others bought into the idea and to really allow us to pursue that project. That's excellent. There's so much richness in there. I just want to tease out a little bit. First, uh, we've talked about the importance of story as product people a few times. You might be referring to episode 374, which Dr. J.J. Peterson about the story brand yes, framework, that's exactly <clears throat> which that is a, my, my all-time favorite marketing framework. It's a great way to put a compelling story together. So we'll, we'll put links in the show notes with details, but productmasterynow.com slash 374 would find that. But you recognize that there was an opportunity here, right? So we have friction. Let's explore this. Let's make a mock-up of what a better process could be. Let's actually test that. So you put constructed the experiment. You engaged an outside company to make this really quick and easy for you. And I, I suspect relatively cost-effective, right? This was a day's worth of work to, and five people in each group doing the test and the results back. And so you had you know, storyboards to help you visually convey the story, results from the research that you did, the data that you collected. And now you found the executive sponsor to help champion this with you. So you get some of that kind of you know top level support about why this might be important to the organization. Anywhere along the stage, you could have just given up and said, "Wow, I we have this problem. Why don't other people recognize the problem? Now we have data. Why don't people want to act on the data that I have? Well, now I have a champion. Why aren't we moving forward yet? But you used all that to still create a groundswell to say we need to push this forward. And did it give up anywhere in the process? That was really well done. It takes a little bit of tenacity, but it goes back to you knowing your customer better than anyone else. Eventually you start to feel the emotions of your customer and you become as invested in them meeting their goals as they are. Right. And that, that, that passion is what drives the tenacity of we got to get this done. And it's going to, I don't care how long it takes. We're going to get it done. I have all kinds of examples I've run across of you know, we recognize there's a way to add more value to the customer. It's something that we should do. And maybe the engineering team doesn't want to take it on, right? There's some other breakdown and we just can't get people moving. And we have to figure out a way to gain the support. And you shared a, a wonderful model for one way to gain that support and push, keep pushing on to do, get the right thing done to create more value. Appreciate you sharing that with us. The framework for identifying the customer, the personas, working through specific pain points. What are we going to do for the customer? Prioritizing our actions we could take and then making that happen. As listeners know, we love a good innovation quote around here too. What do you have to share with us? There are many wonderful things that will never be done if you do not do them. And that was by Charles D. Gill. And that quote to me really resonates a lot because this is something that I've come to realize is not just is not isolated to me, but it's something that a lot of us fear is this, you know, sense of, well, my idea is not good enough. I'm not good enough. I can't be the one to do this. This sense of this imposter syndrome of no, you know, it's not my idea can't nobody is buying into my idea. Therefore, it's not good. And 
this quote really resonated with me because it, it reminds me, it doesn't matter if I'm good enough. There are things that I can do. And if I don't do them, they're not going to get done. And so it almost gives me permission to move forward and do something, even if I think it might not be good enough. And oftentimes I find that there are many people who think that, and some of the best achievements out there have come from people who didn't think that they were good enough. And it, you just need the courage to just, you know what? No one else is going to do it. I should. And I can. And then you do. It's a motto that you can repeat almost daily and can help you to get through tough situations where you feel like I'm discouraged. Something isn't getting done. I'm not making traction. I want to give up. And just a reminder of, hey, if I don't do this, no one else is. Excellent. I like that very much. Imposter syndrome is this terrible thing that I think practically everyone deals with. I deal with it at times doing this podcast and you know meeting incredible people like yourself and others that I get to talk to. We all have this thing that happens inside of us that we wonder, gosh, why am I the one doing this at this point in time? But no one else might be doing it if we don't. And we need to step up and take on the challenge. And I appreciate you sharing the quote with us and the motivation to, to take action. How can people find out more about the work that you're doing, more about your organization, anything that you want to share with us? Sure. People can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. You can find me, Natasha Narkowitz, at LinkedIn. You'll probably need to reference the show notes to find the spelling. We'll take care of it. I'm there. Happy to connect with anyone. Excellent. And we did mention your organization. Someone needs a web hosting solution. Where should we go look? A great place to start would be a new full digital is the umbrella parent company. We have many brands under there from web.com, Bluehost, Network Solutions, Register, a number of different options for providing any of the digital assets that you need to manage your digital presence from domains, websites, hosting, email, all the way to managing social media. Excellent. So people can find out more. Those are all very well-known brands. Really appreciate the insights about how we can do a better job by serving our customers and thinking through the customer experience. Great. I'm so happy that I got to share my experience with the groups. This, this has been fun. And for listeners, remember, if you want to find that the action guide, the one page action guide to help you put into action key insights that Natasha shared with us, as well as the written summary of everything we discussed, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 398. Everyone keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.